0: Amen. Appreciate the good message we've heard. And isn't it wonderful to be able to go to a place where we hear the truth spoken in such a way in love? (laughs) I'm just telling you, you're just not going to hear those kind of messages out in the world. And the band just plays on and the, the people of God just move on closer to destruction. And so praise God. Praise God for the courage to preach a message like that. And then if you think it doesn't take courage, well, then we'll let you try it sometime. Okay. So wonderful message, brother Luke. If you'll turn back to Ephesians first chapter, we look back to our lost truth series where we've talked about several different subjects. And I don't know if you remember way back several months ago, we began to speak about this in terms of the what is the foundation of the church? What is the activity of the church? And one of the activities, according to Acts 2, is the doctrine. It says they continue in the apostles' doctrine. If you don't know what that is, then how can you continue in it? So we we look in Ephesians 1. We've talked about several things that are here. Chosen in Christ was one of those lost truths. Predestinated to adoption, the pleasure of predestination, that's one of those lost truths that that practically none of the religious world hears anything about anymore. We talked about accepted in the beloved, not you accepting Christ, but you being accepted through what Christ did for you. And so today we come to verse 7, and it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And today we want to talk about redemption. Redemption through His blood. Whether you realize it or not, the history of the world from the time the world was created, it is the story of redemption. God moving through the days of the Old Testament, even moving through, obviously, the days when Christ was here and in the time of the New Testament, which is what we are living in, it is the story of of redemption, What we are thinking about, besides gifts and such, for this time of year, the time of Christmas, it is the giving of the greatest gift that could have ever been given, and it is for the purpose of redemption. It's not just to look at a cute little baby laying in a manger. <laughs> it is for the purpose of redemption. That's why He came. History is the story of redemption. It is truly, as I've said before, His story. History is H-I-S. His story. You see? And I want to talk to you this morning about redemption through the blood of Christ. And we're going to mainly look at the Old Testament terms that related to redemption because it is thick with the history of redemption. I mean, you can't hardly turn a page in the Old Testament without understanding or knowing something about the cultural concept of redemption. The first word I want to talk to you about as we springboard here from Ephesians 1, we go back to Exodus, the 13th chapter. And as you're turning to Exodus, the 13th chapter, you know how much I I love the word studies. and, And certainly we're going to be looking at three key words that relate to redemption here this morning. But in Exodus, the 13th chapter, you begin to have it laid out very clearly what it means to redeem. So overall, I just want you to understand the definition of redemption. It is deliverance from bondage by the payment of a specific or right price... By a qualified redeemer. We want to talk about the rule of redemption. We want to talk about the qualified redeemer. And then we want to talk about the right payment and what that means. And it all ties in to redemption through his blood. History is the story of redemption. Now here's, get this in, our, in your mind as we look at this. In Exodus 13, we find where the Lord is, is codifying, codifying, legislating the rule of Redemption. But, but prior to Exodus, prior to this time when the Lord brings his children out of Egypt, redemption has been a practice that has been observed since the days of Adam. Now, here's why. If you've ever wondered why in Luke 3 and 38, in one of those long genealogies where it says that uh, Jesus was the son of so-and-so, and then it goes on, of course, we know He's the son of God, but through Joseph's line... He was the adopted son of Joseph. Joseph, And we see that through Joseph's line, it goes way, way back, all the way back to Adam. And it, say, it says in, in Luke 3 and 38 that it says, Adam, who was the son of God? Okay, now that doesn't mean the son of God in terms of who Jesus was. There's only one capital S son of God. But in terms of how he got here, that's how Adam got here is God created him. That was his son. It was his natural son, if you will. Okay. It says Jesus uh, who came from Joseph. Joseph was the son of so-and-so. And you go back umpteen generations until you get to Adam. And it says Adam who was the son of God. So understand this when it comes to redemption and why it was so important in the Old Testament. Adam was the possession of God. He belonged to God. Now if you want to think in terms of a mortgage today, now that's a property possession. I know a little bit about mortgages. I've drawn up a few and executed a few for people. Even had one of my own. You understand the mortgage... Means, and especially in Alabama where we are a, a title mortgage state, it means that the mortgage holder actually holds title to the property so they can, if you forfeit, if you are foreclosed on, then you actually are turning back over to them what they rightly own through the mortgage. Other states are not like that. But this state is a mortgage title state, which means the mortgage holder is the one that actually holds possession or title to the property. You hold possession to the property if you have a mortgage. But the mortgage holder holds the title. So if the mortgage is forfeit, mortgage just means death, by the way. Then the mortgage holder kills the property and brings it back to themselves. They redeem it. Now that's property. We're not going to give you a legal lecture here this morning. But this is the legal term here for the legislation that God enacted for redemption. God is the title holder to mankind. Because he created mankind. You understand? So when I want you to think about Adam as the one who was mortgaged. God gave Adam his life. He breathed into Adam the breath of life. And the entire history of the world hinges on God having created Adam. And what did Adam do? He was innocent. He had nothing to do but keep one law. And he forfeited his right. You see that? And the title holder, God, was offended. You see, so God holds the mortgage to mankind. And therefore, Adam as the first created man who forfeited the right to live in harmony with God and basically killed mankind, killed mankind, that's why people die, you see. That was the effect of him forfeiting the right of possession that God had to him. He had it made in the shade, as we say. And he forfeited that right. So God holds title to call the debt in. And what was the price of him forfeiting his harmony with God? What was the price? It was death. So God has the right to call in the debt because he's the creator. He's the owner of the possession. Adam is the possessed one. He's the possession of God. But unknown to Adam, and this is where, if you ever read any C.S. Lewis, especially the Chronicles of Narnia, you read about what Aslan did to save, redeem Edmund Pevensey in the great work of C.S. Lewis. This is what they spoke of as the older and the deeper magic. Now, we're not talking about magic. That's what C.S. Lewis referred to it as. But this is a deeper form of love and covenant that was unknown to mankind until Christ came. But they knew something about it because Adam had forfeited his right and he knew he lived under the sentence of death. 930 years later, the mortgage was foreclosed and he died, see? God had the right to take him right then. But God suspended that because he had a plan. That was a practical understanding of the Old Testament patriarchs. Jacob, Abraham, Seth, even all of those guys had an understanding. Why did Abel bring a firstling of the flock? It's because there was a plan in place there that God would take a substitute and not call in the death debt. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense because these are some pretty technical terms, but I want you to understand it. I hope it's simple. Adam forfeited the right to be the possession of God. God is the returned rightful owner of it. And God has the right to redeem that possession. You see, So all through the Old Testament until Exodus, you find them practicing the sacrifice of the firstlings of the flock. They'd pick out the best and they'd lay it down and it would bleed and it would die. God would accept that sacrifice, that substitute, instead of calling in the debt. Which brings us to Exodus 13. Here in the law of Moses, God has legislated or codified the debt. It is written in stone. It is written down what he requires, and he's very specific about it. In the past, they had a a basic understanding of it, and many of the patriarchs, the patriarchs did this, but it wasn't codified. It wasn't written down as law. Now you have the rule of redemption. Exodus 13. And let's begin reading in verse 11. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites, as he sware unto thee and to thy fathers, and shall give it thee, that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix, or the womb, and every firstling that cometh of a beast which thou hast. The males shall be the Lord's. Now the feminists today would have a field day with that. They'd say, why not the females? (laughs) Well, you just have to take that up with the Lord when you get to heaven. But it was the firstborn males that God said, They are mine. I am legislating this. Watch this now. And every firstling of an ass or a donkey, Thou shalt redeem with a lamb. I think it's kind of funny that God included man in the same verse as He did as a donkey. (laughs) But He says, Every firstling of a donkey or an ass, Thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if Thou will not redeem it, Then Thou shalt break His neck. And all the firstborn of man among the children shalt Thou redeem. And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, what is this? Why do we sacrifice these beautiful little firstborn lambs, these male lambs that have no blemish on them? We ought to sell them at the market and make some money off of them. God said in the law, he said, they're mine. Sacrifice them to me. And it shall be when thy son asketh thee, what is this that thou shalt say unto him? By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. And it shall come to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go, that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Did you ever notice that? He didn't only kill the firstborn of the Egyptians. He also killed the firstborn of all animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all that openeth the matrix being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. So they didn't have to lay down their firstborn males on a sacrifice and kill them. See, God said, I will accept a lamb in exchange for the debt that I have a right to call in. You know, as red blooded Americans, that just kind of flies in our face. You say, nobody's got a right over me. You say that you tell God that on your deathbed. Because when you breathe your last, that is an evidence that you are living under the curse of Adam. <laughs> proud man says, nobody has a right over me. I'm I'm a free American. Those, that's not like, quite like what it used to be. But, but I can do anything I want to do. You know, I'm a, I'm a free citizen. You just see what, how that plays out when you're on your deathbed. And then when you open your eyes in glory, <laughs> you see how proud of an American you are. You're going to be a proud, glorified citizen, joyful citizen of heaven at that point. Why? Because of redemption. Because of redemption. So the practical side was practiced for all those years. And now it's codified in the days of Moses. And don't forget this. You say, well, I'll... What are the mechanics? God gave them the mechanics of it, the, how to do it in Exodus twelve. You can go read that. We don't have time for the sake of time. We don't we don't have time to look at that. But you can say it, it tells you exactly how they were to put up those lambs and exactly what they're to do with those lambs, exactly how uh, what they leave for the altar there and what they burn and what they eat and so forth. He says, eat there with your loins girded, with your clothes on. You're ready to go. And at midnight, the Lord went through. The nation of Egypt there and the nation of Israel, in uh, the, the people of Israel. Don't ever forget that the Lord called the debt not just in on Egypt, He called the debt in on everybody that was there. So what you have in, in Egypt is God exercising in a limited way His right of redemption. He called the dead in on the Israelites and on the Egyptians. The only difference was that the Israelites had the Passover to observe so that no one died in their homes. What was it? They killed the lamb. And what they do with the blood? They struck it on the doorpost and above. So when the, when the angel of God, when the death angel saw the blood, he passed over. See, this is codified right now. They've been doing something similar to this for years, laying down lambs and sacrificing them. The firstlings of the flock but now the Lord has put it in as a as a cultural it's like an icon to them. They observe the Passover every year. The Passover reminds them that they came out of Egypt and don't forget this. The first word that we have here for where it talks about the Passover, where it speaks of sacrificing the lamb and redeeming is the is the Hebrew word paidah which which if you think about it's very similar to payment, paidah, paidah, payment. It's the right, the rule of payment. That payment must be made. It's the rule there. And the Lord puts it into writing. And the Lord says, I gave Egypt, the firstborn of Egypt, for payment for you. You see? And he passed over those that had the blood. He took a substitute for the Israelites. Now the next word that we look at has to do with the qualified redeemer. And we find this word... You don't have to turn there, but I'll mention it briefly. But we find this word explicitly explicitly used in Ruth, the second chapter. You can see the rite of redemption played out beautifully in the book of Ruth. Where Elimelech, the father and the two sons, had died. And there was no one left to carry along the dead line of Elimelech. And Ruth winds up marrying Boaz, who was the near kinsman, the next of kin. That near kinsman, next of kin, it is... Redeemer. That's what it means. So you see, this is a family thing. It has to do with the redemption, not only of property, but also of the line that was dead. You see, Elimelech's line was dead. There was no hope for the future of that name being carried on. And so what happens? A near kinsman comes in and redeems that dead line. Did Elimelech and his sons who had died, did they have any power to redeem? They had no power whatsoever, but the near kinsman did. It took a qualified redeemer. And if you know anything about that story about Ruth and Boaz... You know, Boaz was not the closest one. You remember? He had to get another guy out of the way. He had to get another guy out of the way. He basically filed a lawsuit. I've said this many times. It's worth saying again. But whereas today, in the, the divorce rate is so high and it only seems to be getting higher, you know, and, and men and women take each other to court to file for divorce, in this situation, here's a man, a brave, courageous, godly, manly man who took someone to court in order to marry his wife, <laughs> He filed a lawsuit in order to gain his wife, not to get rid of her. That's what Boaz does. And the legal term for the qualified redeemer is the Hebrew word "gael" or goel. I don't expect you to remember any of those words, but they are distinct words that have to do with the one who is qualified to pay. It's a legal term. It is the person who performed the duties of the redeemer. The next of kin would buy back the freedom of the one who had lost their freedom because of debt. You say, well, I can't quite see that. Turn over to Leviticus, the 25th chapter. Here the Lord spells out very clearly what it means. Leviticus 25 and verse 47. And this is the law. This is God's law about redemption. He says, if a sojourner, that's a foreigner, or a stranger, a foreigner, wax rich by thee, a non-Israelite, and thy brother that dwelleth by him, that's the Israelite, waxes poor or becomes poor and sell himself unto the stranger or sojourner by thee or to the stock of the stranger's family. After that, as he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brethren may redeem him. So what you've got here is something that none of us are familiar with at all. But you've got a man who gets so poor, his crops don't come in, things don't work out for him. He just basically goes, as we would say today, he's just basically bankrupt. He doesn't have any assets. He doesn't have anything left. And unlike us today, where there's like a bankruptcy court that many people uh, seek relief from, this man had no relief. So what does he do? He sells himself. He goes and knocks on his neighbor's door. He said, look, I'm so poor, I ain't got any food. My crop didn't come in. It's bust for two years in a row. I, I can't feed my family. I will sell myself to you For food and and work and so forth. You might think about in early America, there was a thing called an indentured servant. That's very similar to what this is right here. A man would say, I'll work for you for seven years, for however many years, and that will be my pay for working for you. I'll indenture myself to you. You'll feed me, you'll clothe me, and other things that went along with that. But this is where in the Old Testament that a man would say, I can't feed my family, so I will sell myself. And it says here that he may be redeemed. But it had to be by a qualified redeemer. One of his brethren may redeem him. So if you, if you were related to this man that sold himself and you had the means, and you saw him over there being sold and living and working under the the rule in the house of a stranger, a non-Israelite, you could take money and go over there and pay the stranger and say, I'm buying him from you. I'm buying his servitude from you. I'm redeeming him and bringing him back over here. But guess what? It doesn't mean that he would be your indentured servant because that was forbidden in the law of Moses. You were buying his freedom. Now, he might work for you and he might pay you back, no doubt. But he would not be your indentured servant or your slave an israelite who was qualified could buy him back either an uncle it says verse 49 or his uncle's son may redeem him and that's the word right there goel it is the word for a qualified redeemer they may redeem him or any that is of kin unto him of his family may redeem him or if he be able he may redeem himself and he goes on get some details about how you do that now i'm gonna tell you something before this law was codified there's an old sinner named Jacob that knew something about this. Because over there in Genesis 48 and 16, as Jacob is speaking to his grandsons that are in the presence of Joseph, and Jacob is not far from being with the Lord. He's probably months or maybe a few years away from being with the Lord. And it says that he spoke of the angel which redeemed me. That old sinner Jacob who was such a weasel and he was such a swindler, You know, he swindled his brother out of his birthright. He swindled his brother out of the blessing of his father. And then he got swindled again and again by his father-in-law, Laban. I tell you, if you read the account of Jacob and you think it's all wine and roses, I'm telling you, that man, he led a hard life. Because of the decisions he made and because of the things that he did. But there was a night whenever Jacob was on the run from his very brother who wanted to kill him. Esau wanted to murder his own brother for how he had swindled him. And it says that he was out in the wilderness. And poor old Jacob, he didn't have a whole lot of sense in terms of even take a blanket or a pillow with him. And it says that he set up a rock and put his head on it as a pillow. He used a rock for a pillow. And in that night when he was out there on the run, no doubt sad and far away from home and thinking about how he had swindled his brother... And thinking about his brother wanting to kill him, the Lord came to him and the Lord told him, you're mine. You are my possession. I have redeemed you. That's when Jacob saw that ladder that went up to heaven. You remember that? You know what that ladder was? We preached about it a few weeks ago. We talked about that ladder. Jesus said, I am the ladder when he comes and he talks to them in John the first chapter. He said, I am the ladder that Jacob saw. I am the only source and the only way to get to heaven. If you're going to get to heaven, it's through the Son of God. You see? The son of God, the angel that redeemed Jacob, came to Jacob in that dream. And Jacob wakes up the next morning and he said, I'm in the holy ground. I've been in the presence of the Lord. And he sets up that rock, that pillow. He sets it up for a pillar. (laughs) And always remember that place. That old sinner Jacob knew about a redeemer. What qualified Jacob to be his own redeemer Nothing. He was a weasel. As a matter of fact, you'll see here in a minute that when we speak of the Redeemer, the one who was qualified to redeem, he refers to Jacob as a worm. (laughs) I want to read from you one of the commentaries that I read. Listen to this. It says that in the commentary of about Jacob having that dream and saying many, many years later to his grandson, saying, the angel which redeemed me He says, the messenger, the redeemer, the kinsman, for so Goel signifies. For this term in the law of Moses is applied to that person whose right it is from his being the nearest akin to redeem or purchase back a forfeited inheritance. Is this not Jesus? He alone can be called the Goel or the redeeming kinsman or the qualified redeemer. For he alone took part of our flesh and blood that the right of redemption might be his and that the forfeited possession of of the favor and image of God might be redeemed or brought back and restored. This is the old and the deeper magic that C.S. Lewis wrote of when it came to Aslan and how he laid his life down. You know, the white witch, if you know anything about that story there, the white witch thought that she had Aslan because he substituted himself instead of Edmund dying. But what she didn't understand was there was an older and deeper magic that though he held the right of redemption for that boy, when he laid himself down and was mocked and cursed and very similar to what happened to Christ, of course it's fiction, but it's beautiful fiction. <laughs> the next morning, the stone table that he was sacrificed on broke in two, and Aslan resurrected. And Aslan took back over Narnia, which was never out of his control in the first place. Does that sound familiar? To our kinsman redeemer who laid himself down, who had the right of redemption. He was the qualified redeemer. And he laid himself down as a lamb led to the slaughter. And they thought they had him. The white witches of this world looked upon him and the warlocks of this world and said, we've got him, we've destroyed him, we've taken him out. And yet three days and three nights later, the deeper magic, the deeper power of God that had been in existence before the foundation of the world, the Son of God was resurrected and we have our Redeemer high and lifted up on the throne in heaven. Isn't that glorious? But Isaiah 41 and 14, this is where it speaks of the kinsman redeemer, of the one who has the qualified right to redeem. You remember Adam was the possession and Adam forfeited that right, but God holds the right to redeem the possession that was his. And he says in Isaiah 41 and 14, Fear not, thou worm Jacob. (laughs) He referred to Jacob as a worm. And ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer. That's the word right there. The Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 44 and 21. He says, Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee. Thou art my servant. O Israel, thou shalt not be forgotten of me. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed Thee. he's saying i'm the qualified redeemer sing oh ye heavens for the lord hath done it shout ye lower parts of the earth break forth into singing ye mountains O forest and every tree therein what he's doing there is he's calling all of creation that he created to testify that he's the qualified redeemer Amen. you see that O forest and every tree therein for the lord hath redeemed jacob and glorified himself in israel thus saith the lord thy redeemer and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. I love it how he puts that language in there. He says, nobody helped me do it. I did it myself. Isaiah fifty four and four. By the way, the book of Isaiah is 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 covered up with the references to the goel, the kinsman redeemer. And he sometimes it's capitalized R redeemer. He is the qualified redeemer, and that is evident as Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is telling us. Listen to this: Isaiah fifty four and four. Fear not; thou shalt not be ashamed. Neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. For thy Maker is thy husband, the Lord of hosts is his name and thy redeemer, the Holy one of Israel, the God of the whole earth. Shall he be called? You see, this is your redeemer. This is your kinsman redeemer. This is the one who held the right to go in and redeem that which had been forfeited and lost through the sin of Adam. And if you sit there and you say, well, I would have done better. I would have, you know, I would have, I would have not done what Adam did. You and I would have done worse than what Adam did. And we'd have done it quicker. (laughs) Isaiah 43 and 1, he says, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom. You see how all that comes together. It was a cultural thing for the Israelites to understand. God held the right of redemption. Why do you think Abraham didn't hesitate whenever the Lord said, take your son, your only son Isaac, up on the mountain and sacrifice him to me. And God did what? He put a substitute in place. And it says that Abraham saw Jesus and rejoiced in that day when he saw the lamb caught in the thicket and the lamb was laid down in the place of his son Isaac and Isaac rose up. You see? The last word here as we close our thoughts this morning is the word... Cofa, which, if you think about the alliteration of that word to cover, cofair, cover," and it has to do with the payment. there was the rule of redemption. there was the redeemer who was qualified to enact the law, to access the legislation that was in place, but then there had to be the right kind of payment. And the word for payment is kopher, or cover. To cover, to make satisfaction, the right price to be paid for a forfeit life. Jesus said in Matthew 20 and 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. You see, you had to have the right Redeemer and you had to have the right price. In the New Testament, the lingo or the language for redemption has to do with atonement, sanctification, justification. It's a reference to a marketplace transaction where you would go to the slave market and someone would show up and buy back, not not just buy a slave, but redeem them and give them their freedom. You hear me? Not just buy the slave and say, hey, that slave is mine. No, give the slave absolute freedom. That's what it has to do with. There was the rule of payment, there was the qualified redeemer, and there was the right payment to be made. And what does it say in our text this morning? Ephesians 1. It says, by whom we have redemption through his blood. You understand that the right payment that had to come up before the possessor, it was blood. Does that make sense? What was it that Abel laid down? In the very dawn of time, he laid down the firstlings of the flock. They had bled there and he laid them down and burned them. You have it codified in Exodus where it says, take a lamb of the flock, the firstlings of the flock, the best you've got and the first of what you've got and make it bleed and then lay it down on the altar and burn it. You see, child of grace, there's many today that don't want to hear anything about blood. You say, well, that's kind of nasty. I tell you, we must hear about the blood of Christ. We must hear about the right payment. It was not what you do, and it's not what I do, but it was the qualified kinsman redeemer who laid down not just a some substitute that would work. He laid down himself, and he bled and died. That's why John says, behold, the Lamb of God. He was a qualified redeemer. The price that he paid was the shedding of his blood. So as we consider these lost truths, maybe somehow this morning we've learned a little bit about what it means when we are, it says we are redeemed by the blood of Christ. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. <laughs> redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, as the song says. Child of God, God holds the mortgage on mankind. And the day and time that we're living in, you don't have to worry about the codified legislation of bring a lamb and sacrifice a lamb. The codified legislation has been fulfilled and it's been put away. It's been fulfilled by Christ. And now we only need to behold the lamb of God who laid down his life and shed every drop of his precious blood and paid for our sins. Thank goodness we don't have to bring the firstlings of the flock because God brought the firstlings, the firstling of the flock which was His Son, Jesus Christ. The song says, They shall obtain true joy and peace, for no sorrow, no sighing, no more tears shall be shed. And the ransomed of God, the redeemed, shall return to the mount with sweet songs everlasting and joy on their heads. Isn't it good to know that we have a Redeemer? Isn't it good to know that He paid the right price? And isn't it good to know that the legislation of paying the price, the lamb, has been paid forever. Praise be to God. That is the focus and the glory of the church of God, that we can proclaim that from week to week. And if there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord, knowing that that's your only hope, that's the only price that could ever pay for your sins, and we give you that opportunity as we stand and sing. You have a number, brother.